Last time we were together, we started a, a little series on relationships. Uh, we tend to do that this time of year. I don't know quite why it always seems to happen this time of year, but so um, I thought we'd look at relationships again today. And I know some of you have had a pretty rough ride with relationships. Um, maybe people who were meant to be there for you weren't there. Uh, perhaps when they were there, you wish they weren't because, you know, they were abusive, that kind of thing. For some, uh, parents were physically or emotionally absent and the love that was needed wasn't given. Uh, a physical touch was not always a loving one and uh, words were often a rebuke. Uh, for some, uh, marriage partners were not loyal but betrayed trust. Um, Sometimes the loss is just because parents, partners or children are taken by death and so there's a different kind of breakdown of relationship that way. For some, friends didn't support us but took advantage of us or used our weaknesses for their own ends. You know, the one person you felt you could trust let you down, stabbed you in the back, that kind of thing. You know, you've been there, you've experienced it to a greater or lesser degree. A few years back, a friend uh, during a very difficult time said to me, I'll stick by you shoulder to shoulder, no matter what happens. Two months later, he was gone. And uh, we were, felt very let down by that. It had, you know, that's not what friends do, is it? They don't walk out on you. And he may have had good reasons to leave, uh, but we, um, we felt let down because he didn't follow through on what he said. So in the, in the light of that, and in Oxford we have people coming and going, it's the, the city in the UK with the biggest turnover rate, and you just get to know people and then they move on and you have to start all over again, and can we really keep doing that? Can we really trust people again? Or will we just be hurt even more? What does the Bible say? Well, the first verse, Proverbs chapter 18, verse 24. Some friends come and go, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. There are special friends, aren't there, who stick by us. Just after we moved into our lovely house where we live, and I'll tell you the, the miracles that God did to get us in there another time, but just after we moved in, I assumed that, you know, the... the the sewer system would work like it did in every other house. At half past ten one night, sewage started coming up through the bathroom floor uh, downstairs. So we realized something was wrong and uh, there was a pit with a submersible pump which had stopped working. So I had to pull it out and um, try and work out what on earth was going on. And as soon as Jerry heard about it, he was there. Not because he loves sewer pumps, or he didn't know any more about pumps than I did, but he, that's what a friend does, isn't it? A friend comes and uh, spends time with you, supports you, and uh, it, was, it was great. Uh, in Jesus, we have someone who sticks even closer, someone who never lets us down, someone who's all, always there and gives us what we need. If you read through the four accounts of Jesus' life in the Bible, you'll see someone that everybody wanted to be with. Jesus was uh, an incredible person, an amazing teacher, but he was also a really incredible friend, exceptional. 
In John chapter 15, verse 15, Jesus said, I no longer call you servants because a servant doesn't know his master's business. Instead, I call you friends. For everything that I've learned from my Father, I've made known to you. You didn't choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. So Jesus calls us friends. He wants that kind of close relationship. So I started off listing in general terms some of the things that people may have done to us um, and then there are also things that we've done to other people as well aren't we we're, we're far from perfect but I think we can learn a lot from Jesus about how to be a good friend to other people so the first one first heading I've put up is be intimate with a few but no many and uh, Jesus was someone who was really strong in relationships. He had lots of different kinds of relationships. So he had some very close friends, didn't he? He had uh, the three, Peter, James, and John. And he spent more time with them than he did with most of the others. Then there were the rest of the twelve. So the three were part of the twelve. The twelve were the apostles, the disciples, and he spent a lot of time with them hanging out. Um, he also, we're told, loved hanging out with Lazarus and Mary and Martha at their house just outside Jerusalem. And then there was an even larger group who, uh, of men and women who travelled with him, who ministered to him, provided for him. I guess they did the shopping and the cooking and the washing and all that kind of thing, practical needs. They got the coffee and donuts ready for the meetings and uh, they also did crowd control as well as you read through the stories. Uh, car parking and welcome and security and stuff like that. One day, seven of Jesus' friends were out fishing and uh, they were fishermen, there, but they fished all night and they caught nothing. Uh, and uh, Jesus was on the shore, they were still a little way out in the water and early morning he called out to them and uh, he told them to let down their nets on the other side of the fish. Now, they were the fishermen, Jesus wasn't, but for some reason they did what he said. Maybe they were just so fed up with not having caught anything that they would try something different. And they netted an incredible catch of fish. John, one of the, the three close ones, said to Peter, it's Jesus on the shore. And so Peter jumped overboard and he swam to the shore. He was so excited about seeing Jesus again. And when they got there, they got onto the beach and they found that Jesus had made a fire. He'd made some bread and cooked it and caught some fish and cooked those. And in John chapter 21, verse 12, Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Let's hang out together. Let's spend some time together. There's no agenda. I just want to be with you. I want to get to know you. I want to spend time with you. A bit like our communities. Communities are just as much church as what we do here uh, every other Sunday. And Jesus was there with them. Like Jesus, we have a limited number of emotional slots to be able to give to friendship and that varies with our personality type, it varies with our stage of life as well. So extroverts tend to have large circles of friends and they go reasonably deep with a lot of people. Introverts tend to have a smaller group of friends with whom they go very, very deep. 
is different and we need to allow each other to be different like that. We all need close friends with whom we can be intimate and accountable because without that we become unhealthy, we become vulnerable to other things. We need other people who are close to us, who can see what's happening in our lives and speak into our lives. I'd suggest that the people that we go deep with need to be people of the same sex um, or the person that we're married to as well. Um, so for example in the key groups, connection groups that are starting, uh, share deeply with somebody of the same sex otherwise it's possible for unhealthy connections, unhealthy bonds to, to build and churches are full of stories of people who've uh, got into trouble because of that because they've gone to the wrong place to be accountable and to share their deepest concerns. So if you, if you need to talk to someone about your marriage or about sexuality or what you're being tempted by, make sure you go to somebody of the same sex. So here's a little question for you uh, coming up on the screen at any moment. How many friends does the average person have? Any, any guesses on that? Five? <laughs> Anybody else? A bit higher than that? Friends. Friends in general. Yeah, so close friends, maybe five, but how many would you say? Thirty? How many? Two thousand? That's your Facebook account, is it? <laughs> well, people, there's uh, a leading anthropologist, a guy called Robin Dunbar, said that the average number is actually about 150. People that you actually know. So let's put aside social media uh, with all those fake friendships that we have. Um, I don't recognize half the names of people who, particularly on LinkedIn, it seems to be, uh, anyway, that's another thing. We're told that in a church you can know about 60 people. So if the church is about 60 people, you can know everybody to a certain degree. Uh, if the church is a thousand strong, then you still get to know 60 people. So big churches don't have to necessarily be uh, less friendly than small churches. We just need to be slightly more deliberate when the church gets bigger. And then, there, of course, there are the few that we can really go deep with. But, so be friends with many, but intimate with a few. The second thing to learn from Jesus is to be welcoming and not condemning. And Jesus was just brilliant at this. And it, I find it startling who Jesus sought out. People from every background and every belief. Jesus was a great teacher, but he was also a great listener. People knew that they would be welcomed by Jesus. And in fact, the only people that Jesus was ever hard on were the, the religious leaders who were so rigid in, uh, in what they did and what they believed that they just needed their cages shaken a little bit. On one occasion, Jesus was in the town of Capernaum and he came across one of the tax collectors. Tax collectors had the same status in Jewish society as, say, a paedophile would today. And as Jesus drew level, he looked across at this guy, looked him in the eye, called him out by name and said, 
I'm going to have dinner at your house today. The guy was Matthew, and Matthew invited all his friends, all the other outcasts, all the uh, religious people were shocked at that because, you know, you, you shouldn't hang out with those people because they might have a nasty effect on you or something. But Jesus went and uh, he spent time with the social outcasts, the last, the least, and the lost. Matthew chapter 9, verse 12. The religious leaders were complaining, grumbling, criticizing, uh, which is a good indicator of whether you're religious or not, I guess. And uh, Jesus heard them and answered, healthy people don't need a doctor, but sick people do. Go and learn what the scriptures mean when they say, instead of offering sacrifices to me, I want you to be merciful to others. I didn't come to invite good people to be my followers. I came to invite sinners. People who know that they're sinners. People who realize the reality of the situation. We say to everybody, come as you are. Your life may be a mess. Uh, Your relationships may be out of order. Your finances may be all over the place. Spiritually, you may be hung up, confused, whatever. It really doesn't matter. Come as you are. But don't stay as you are, because Jesus is here with us to help sort out the mess. Don't try and sort out your mess before you come to Jesus, because you won't be able to do it, because only Jesus can change the human heart. So it's okay to be a mess here. It's okay to, as Peter was saying, it's okay to be in that process of Jesus gradually sorting us out and clearing up the mess that we've made and other people have made as well. John chapter 3 verse 17 says, God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. It's good news, isn't it? Good news for a world that is living in darkness, that is broken, that is confused, and seems to be getting even more confused if you look at the news headlines. And so we can learn to welcome people as Jesus did. And we can love people even if we're repulsed by what they do. A few years ago I was uh, sitting with a paedophile chatting to him and he was telling me about what he'd done and you know all that and uh, everything in me was screaming against it. I found it utterly vile what he'd done. And uh, but I also had to remember that Jesus loved him and had forgiven him just as much as he'd forgiven me and uh, that Jesus loved him more than I could understand and uh, and so I just asked Jesus can you can you give me love for this guy because I'm I'm not really feeling it at the moment because that's the thing with love isn't it it's it's more than a feeling as the song says Uh, it's a decision and and so we choose to love people and we choose to serve them in their brokenness so uh, I loved him and I prayed for him. Love sees beyond the offence. Next thing to learn from Jesus, be available to all but keep your boundaries. Anybody who wanted to have time with Jesus could, but at the same time, the truth is that Jesus made himself deliberately unavailable at times. And that's something that we have to hold in tension because 
just like us, Jesus needed time away. He needed uh, time to rest and be away from all the huge needs that were brought to him. So, for example, Mark chapter 3, verse 20. Jesus entered a house and again a crowd gathered so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. There were so many people to talk to, so many people to pray for. When his family heard about this, so this would have been Mary and his brothers, uh, James and Joseph and so on, they went to take charge of him and they said, he's out of his mind. Ministry can be busy and at times we are called to give and we give sacrificially and uh, it may mean that you don't have time to eat some days. Other times we need to put the boundary in place and get away. Mark chapter 6 verse 30. So many people were coming and going that they didn't have time, didn't even have a chance to eat. So Jesus said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. And so they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. Nice treat, going sailing together. Lovely. Restful. You have to slow down when you're sailing. There are other things that we can do that mean that we just have to slow down. You know, switch your phone off, uh, be unavailable for a period of time so that you can rest, be recharged, and most importantly, spend time with Jesus. But also spend time with just a few close people. Jesus didn't go away just on his own. He did do that at times. But notice that he went away with, his, with the twelve, the people that he felt... Uh, closest to. If we allow our boundaries to be broken we end up exhausted and then we're no use to anybody. So we need to make sure that the rhythm of life that we put in place is sustainable and we are the only people who choose that. People don't choose that for us. And uh, so deliberately we build rhythm into the church year. So we tend to be more busy during term times and then around Christmas, Easter and the summer everybody goes off, goes away, sees family and so we deliberately close down. Uh, one of the other church leaders in Oxford used to tease me, he said, you're the only church I know that doesn't celebrate Christmas and Easter. <laughs> and uh, you know, there was just, uh, it, was, it was funny trying to make out that uh, maybe we weren't, we weren't a real church after all, but it, it was all banter, it was, uh, it was fine. Uh, so I build rhythm into my week. Uh, the first thing I put in the diary is a day off, and then time alone with God, and then family time and exercise, and then the other things, you know, the church and the other businesses that we're involved in have to fit in around that as well. Uh, so, you know, we, we play hard, we work hard, we rest hard. And uh, I don't know if you find this, but I find I have to be deliberate about saying no to things. And uh, just take email, for example. I used to get uh, a number of emails that were about intercession, and then there were prophetic ones, and then there were missions ones and there was stuff on leadership and there's this and that and the other and before I knew it there were so many emails sitting there unread that it was it was just a source of stress it didn't actually help me at all because I ended up just putting them all in the bin anyway uh, and so I decided these things are very good and they're so good that someone else can read them and uh, I'm not going to but I'm just going to pick and choose what I 
what I read. Uh, I love learning. Uh, and uh, so every now and then I just switch it around a bit just to keep things fresh. Um, so I select what's important to me, not just the things that are important to other people. And I do that with my task list as well. Uh, and at the beginning of each week, as I look at the things that are coming up, I ask, is this important to me or is this just important to somebody else? If it's important for me, then I make it a priority. And when I get those done, I do the things that are important for other people as well. So keeping the balance will help us to be available to people when they need us. And uh, I've got to the point where on one occasion I was a day or two away from a breakdown and uh, at that point I was, I was useless. <laughs> you know, I had nothing to give anybody and so I needed to uh, make some changes. So be available to people, but keep your boundaries as well. The fourth thing, uh, make time for the least and the lost. So as I said, all sorts of people came to Jesus. There was uh, Nicodemus, for example, who was a Pharisee and a member of the Jewish ruling council. So in today's uh, language, he was the equivalent of an MP, a TV celebrity, a church leader and a multimillionaire, all sort of rolled into one. And Jesus welcomed him. But Jesus also made a special place for those who were usually not welcome, the last, the least, and the lost. So, for example, a woman had been caught in bed with a married man. Somehow the married man got let off and the woman got dragged uh, down the street um, by the religious leaders uh, and dragged before Jesus. And by their law, that the Pharisees have made up, which was a distortion of what the Bible, uh, the Old Testament taught. But by their law, she should have been stoned to death on the spot. And so they asked Jesus, what should they do? And uh, you can imagine the terror that she was feeling. And we're told that Jesus just bent down didn't say anything, just bent down and started to write in the sand. And we don't know what he wrote. That's not recorded. But I think he wrote things like selfishness, lies, cheating, jealousy, greed, gossip, anger, lust, those kinds of things. And we're told that as Jesus wrote, John chapter 8 verse 9, at this, those who heard began to go away one at a time the older ones first because they'd done more of those things that Jesus was writing probably until only Jesus was left with a woman still standing there and Jesus straightened up and asked her woman where are they? has no one condemned you? no one sir she said then neither do I condemn you Jesus declared go now and leave your life of sin like Jesus we're called to love the sinner but not the sin. And I think this is a great example of how Jesus was able to offer her a new way to live. Receiving the Father's love and forgiveness, not condemning her. She knew what she was doing was wrong. Jesus didn't need to uh, berate her. But he offered her forgiveness, free from condemnation, but also free from sin. Don't fudge the issue. Let's be clear, sin is sin, it's 
It's horrible. It's evil. It's wrong. It cuts us off from God. It destroys relationships. It destroys people. And it had been destroying this woman. And she needed to leave that. I love the way that Jesus can, could confront someone and they went away feeling the most loved person in the world. Isn't that lovely to be able to do that? Something that we need to learn to do in our workplaces and that kind of thing. Jesus reached out to a prostitute called Mary. Luke chapter 8 verse 2. Some women uh, were with him who had been healed of evil spirits and all sorts of diseases. One of the women was Mary Magdalene who once had, uh, had seven demons in her. Again, a very, very broken lifestyle. And her prostitution had opened her life to all sorts of evil. And that's what sex outside of marriage does. And that's why we see such brokenness in our society. And Mary was heavily demonized. These evil spirits bringing temptation and destruction into her life. Jesus got rid of the demons. And... Uh, Mary joined Jesus' fan club. Her life was radically changed. She found freedom. When we give our lives to anything that is forbidden in the Bible, uh, particularly things where we lose control, there is the possibility of being infected spiritually and uh, we carry that infection until Jesus heals us. And uh, we see that regularly, that people who come from very broken backgrounds uh, often carry these same kinds of evil spirits, same kind of brokenness. And the wonderful news is that Jesus doesn't condemn us but he sets us free. He's in the same business today as he was and he invites us to join him in setting captives free. We know that demons are harmful and powerful but they tremble at the name of Jesus because he has power to save. Jesus made time for the least and the lost. And we can think about that in all sorts of different ways. You know, who are the least and the lost today? It could be uh, somebody who's here for the first time and uh, not sure whether they fit in, whether they belong here. You know, everybody else looks so together and they know that they're not. Once you get to know everybody, you'll realize they're just as screwed up as you are. And uh, we're all in that process of receiving healing from Jesus. Um, it could be someone who's been rejected so many times, had so many broken relationships that now they find it difficult. Uh, there is that expectation of rejection again. And so they, uh, we talk about this in Finding Freedom when we, when we run that. Uh, the, the cycle of rejection that we put ourselves into where we reject ourselves, but we also put ourselves in a place to make other people reject us because that's safer than risking being hurt again. If that doesn't make sense, come to Finding Freedom. Hopefully it will. There may be somebody who's been here for years and they're just struggling at the moment, not doing well and they just need somebody to support them. And then outside this meeting there are thousands, tens, hundreds of thousands who uh, are broken, who are hungry for God. They just need to be told there are people out there, Jesus said, who are already hungry for him. They just don't know where to go. 
The church has done such a brilliant job of shooting itself in the foot and of obscuring just how wonderful Jesus is. And uh, so they, they need to know. And there are many who are close to God. They don't realise what Jesus can do for them and they won't realise until somebody reaches out to them. They won't realise how wonderful Jesus is until they hear your story. Because your story is the most powerful thing you can tell people. So we need to ask ourselves, what kind of friend are we going to be? Are we going to reach out to the least and the lost? And uh, the last thing I picked out from Jesus' life is give your best even when it's inconvenient. Jesus was a giver, not a taker. Jesus hung on a cross. Not really a very convenient thing to have to do. Said by some people to be the most painful way to to die. It could take days to die as you uh, suffocated, dehydrated, The difference in Jesus' case from everybody else was that he had the power to be able to come down off the cross. Just with a word, he could have come down off the cross, he could have ended the suffering. But Jesus gave us the best, even though it hurt. Jesus gave everything for me, so how can I give anything less? Jesus died in our place, even though he had never done anything wrong. Jesus took on himself the pain and the suffering for the whole world. He took the punishment that should have been ours. We have rebelled against God. We've broken spiritual laws, even when we don't realize that's what we've done. And Jesus took the consequence of all of that. And so our sin, our wrongdoing has cut us off from God. Jesus made the way back by dying on the cross so that we can be friends with God just as Jesus said in that verse earlier. We can be friends with God. In fact, we can be more than friends. We can be his children, loved and totally accepted. And then the Bible takes it even a stage further than that and says that we are the bride of Christ. We have that intimacy with Jesus. That's his aim for us. Totally loved, totally accepted. And we're called to give like Jesus. Philippians chapter 2 verse 5. Your attitude should be the same as that of Jesus, who, in being very nature with God, didn't consider equality with God something to be held on to, but made himself nothing. I was thinking about it the other day. What would it have been like for Jesus, who was God? That, you know, there was, there was just one being, and then Jesus then separated himself from God and came to live on earth. In it, I was thinking, did God tear himself apart in that process of uh, becoming human? It talks here about Jesus making himself nothing. And we know that he emptied himself of everything that made him God. All the power, all the glory. Uh, it's, it's mind-blowing what he did taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness you know we're, we're the pinnacle of creation and yet compared to God we are absolutely nothing but he did that and being found in appearance as a man he humbled himself even further and became obedient to death even death on a cross 
Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And that's what we're invited to be part of. And the invitation there is your attitude should be the same as that, as Jesus. We're saved to serve, to follow our Saviour and to be like him, willing to humble ourselves, willing to become nothing in the world's eyes. In our society today, being a Christian is pretty much being nothing in the world's eyes anyway, isn't it? So... Uh, just making that decision, you've given up everything. Our society says, make something of yourself, but God says, give, become a servant, and in that way, become something. Become something by becoming nothing. Become great by humbling yourself. Because in God's kingdom, that's the way that it works. It's an upside-down kingdom. Uh, we're called to serve other people, even when it's inconvenient. So we can ask ourselves, what kind of friend do we want to be? Uh, we can learn to be more and more like Jesus in our friendships, the best friend that anyone can have. John chapter 1 verse 16 says, From the fullness of his grace, we have all received one blessing after another. And one of the reasons that we receive that blessing is to be able to pass it on to other people. Charles Swindoll wrote this, You can choose to be a bag of marbles, independent, hard, loud, unmarked, and unaffected by others, or you can be a bag of grapes, fragrant, soft, blending, mingling, flowing into one another's lives. Marbles are made to be counted and kept. Grapes are made to be bruised and used. Marbles scar and clank. Grapes yield and cling. I think it's a nice description of what it's meant to be like on the inside. There's so much, isn't there, that we can learn from Jesus. Um, but the first thing that we need to do is to come to him for ourselves and let him take everything. All the good things he's given us, all the gifts and abilities he's placed in us, but also all that brokenness that we carry, things that we've done, things that other people have done to us. And uh, it may be that you've never done this before, but uh, let Jesus take everything. Come to him. Surrender to him. Let him turn your life around. Uh, surrender your life to him and welcome him in, because we live with our own agenda and he invites us now to live according to his agenda, to follow his ways instead. And as we do that, he forgives us for everything from the past and he gives us new life, life that starts now, life that's for the future as well. Because Jesus died because he wants relationship with you. That's why he went through hell in your place. So what I want to do as we finish off is just to pray a prayer and you can pray this silently between you and God. If you want to get right with him, if you've never done it before, you want to do this for the first time, surrender your life to him. Or it may be just that you realize that there are some things that have got a bit out of place and you just need to get right with God. So you can use the same words to do that. So just uh, say this quietly between you and God. 
Jesus, I'm sorry for the things that I've done wrong. Please forgive me. I now turn from everything which I know is wrong and I surrender totally to you. Thank you that you died on the cross for me so that I could be forgiven and set free. Thank you that you offer me the gift of forgiveness, new life and your spirit. I receive that gift. Please come into my life by your Holy Spirit to be with me forever, to be my forgiver and leader. And the Bible says that if we pray that prayer, if we cry out to God from our heart, even if we don't get the words right, that he forgives us and that he brings us into relationship with him. So I say in Jesus' name that you are forgiven. And I release new life to you. And I bless you with more of God's presence with you, more of the Holy Spirit, more of God's love, more of an awareness of his incredible compassion and love towards you. And I speak a blessing over you to receive more healing from Jesus as well. And in Jesus' name I break the power of condemnation, I break the power of shame, and I break the hold of the things of darkness that have had control over us. Because the Bible says the old has gone, the new has come. You are a new creation, created to be like Jesus. And that's the truth of our new identity So just silently say to Jesus, thank you for saving me. Thank you for setting me free. Thank you for new life. Thank you for healing. Thank you for restoration. Thank you that my future is going to be different from my past. Thank you that you're with me. Thank you that you're for me. Thank you that you don't condemn me. Thank you that no matter what I face in the future, you're with me. So in Jesus' name I bless you. I bless you with an increased awareness of God's presence with you. I bless you with an increased awareness of the gifts of the Spirit that God wants to pour out through you. I bless you with an increased awareness of the opportunities that God will give you this week. And I bless you with everything that you need to be able to live this week. The ability to resist temptation, I bless you with that. The ability to be filled with joy and peace. The ability to have the answers to the problems that you'll be facing and to be people who carry God's presence into difficult and dark situations. I bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I've used up all our time and the children need to be picked up from Vineyard Kids. But God's not finished yet. Um, if you prayed that prayer for the first time today, I would love to uh, 
uh, be able to chat about that and pray for you and give you a, a, a modern version of the Bible and help you. Uh, if you would like prayer for any other reason, you can grab somebody next to you. If you don't know who to ask, you can come down to the front and uh, we would love to pray for you. If you have something that's troubling you, please don't go out of the doors until somebody's prayed for you. And uh, you'll find that this is a safe place to be real about the fact that we're all struggling. We all need prayer. So anyway, God bless you. Have an awesome week. We'll see you Thursday evening at Deeper as we worship and pray and minister and see what else God wants to do.